This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Colossians 1 tells us that in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, think about that for a minute. The Lord shed his own blood to pay the price for my sins, to forgive me for those sins, and to reconcile me, an unworthy sinner, to himself. Not only that, but because of what Christ did, I'm now considered holy and blameless and above reproach, even though the righteousness that I now have is the righteousness that Christ earned and imputed to me through faith in him. Now, this is the best news in the whole world. It's the gospel, and it is good news for me and for you and for everybody who believes it. But now consider where the church is increasingly headed today. Rather than talking about forgiveness of sins and redemption and reconciliation, both with God and with each other because of what Christ has done, a growing number of leaders and laymen are embracing an anti-gospel designed to divide. It claims that some people are guilty just because of the color of their skin, that their sins are the sins of an entire collective, that they're complicit in sins committed long ago before they were born, sometimes sins that they never even knew they were accused of being committing, and worst of all, that they have to do a form of extreme penance in order to make things right. And those who don't will never be forgiven, apparently, and will never be reconciled to their fellow human beings. I mean, this isn't the gospel. This is bondage. And it's happening just at the time when the world itself is embracing the very same errors, which should tell us something. What is to be done when the church embraces wokeness, which my next guest calls a new religion. We're going to tackle it today with Dr. Owen Strand, provost and research professor of theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary and a senior fellow with the Family Research Council. Owen is out with a great book we're going to be discussing called Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. Owen, it's great to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. My joy. Thank you for having me back on. Oh, great to talk to you. What do you make of this new religion of wokeness? I couldn't agree more. This is a religion, just a false one. But what do you make of this entire trend that we're seeing, not only in the culture, but entering the church, too? I make of it that it is a replacement religion. It is not a way forward for the church or even for broader society to overcome racism. And it's very important at the outset of our conversation, Janet, to say that that is exactly how wokeness this, this, this mentality of being awake to systemic racism and injustice in a society. That is exactly how wokeness cloaks itself. It, it wears the robes of anti-racism. It tells you that it is going to produce diversity, equity, fairness, and tolerance. And it, it does so assuming that systemic racism of a festering kind is occurring in every level of society, including the church. So even as it is giving you the cure for the problem so-called of systemic racism. It is assuming its problem. It does not prove it. And the more you look into 
the way it tries to prove its case, as I show in this book, Christianity and Wokeness, the more you realize it is taking basic American realities and infusing them with all sorts of hidden racism. And then, as I said, it comes behind you and it says, here is the cure for this hidden racism. And so at every level, Christians need to be not just alert to this uh, anti-gospel replacement religion. We need to recognize that it is distorting our very worldview itself in its claims. Yeah, you're totally right about that. So we've got wokeness in the culture, and as often has been the case throughout church history, what is an error in the culture can easily seep into the church if we're not careful and if we're not following scripture. Talk a little bit about the roots of wokeness. There, There are a lot of words that are being thrown around about critical race theory, intersectionality, Marxism, Gramsci, you know, all the, the buzzwords that, that mm-hmm. kind of embody wokeness. But how do you define wokeness and what would you say are the real roots of it? Yeah, the, the shorthand definition is being aware of um, structural racism and inequality in a society. And that's built off a Marxist framework. Marx believed that there were structural, what we call structural dynamics in society. He applied that economically with Engels and the Communist Manifesto and other writings in 1871 and around there. And what they sought to convince people of, they said show people was the case, but really it was just a matter of persuasion of their false ideology, was that all of capitalist structures were shot through with inequality. So basically, the folks who owned the means of production and had wealth were oppressors, and those who did not have wealth and did not own the means of production were the oppressed class. And suffice it to say that Marxist thought was incredibly successful. It is it is history's most successful bad idea <laughs> in fomenting revolution, rebellion, and death by the millions. Because what it does is it comes to people who, you know, life is no picnic, but they're generally doing fine economically. Uh, they're okay, at least. And it tells them, you're oppressed, and your oppression is hidden, and you have these automatic foes. You see those people with wealth? They're evil, and they want to oppress you at every turn. And so what it does is it sets people against one another. It creates structures of oppression, even as it claims that it is exposing them. So this whole philosophy, neo-Marxism in the 1950s, neo-Marxism of a racial kind today, uh, convinces you that the structures it is critiquing are oppressing you. Here is the reality, Janet. It is the neo-Marxist philosophy itself that will oppress you if you buy its claims. Yep. Absolutely. Well, you had referenced before that this is an ideology that assumes its problem, but the first reaction a lot of us have had when we've heard some of this blather about systemic racism is, if the United States is so systemically racist, how do we produce the billionaires Oprah Winfrey and Rihanna now, who just recently became a billionaire, or Michael Jackson, the greatest pop singer, most successful of all time, Michael Jordan, the most successful basketball star of all time. I mean, you can go on and on and on about these black superstars and and really, really wealthy business people. And and yet, you know, th- somehow people still buy into this. If the United States is so oppressive systemically, how do these people succeed here? That's right. Life is no picnic for many people. We can be honest about that. Uh, Jesus told us that we would have the poor with us always. So we know um, that there is real poverty out there across skin color, across background. And we know that that will mean that some people grow up in hard conditions. 
some of your listeners, no doubt, have uh, and have navigated that. And many people will have to navigate that in the future. But here's the deal. The, The fundamental claim, as you said, is that America is oppressive, and it is oppressive in an intentional form. It is keeping people down. But when you look at black Americans, for example, to use that term, I don't believe in race as a category in biblical terms, but I'll use that term. Uh, I I recently heard Larry Elder cite the statistic that if you just isolated uh, black Americans, they would be the 14th largest, 14th richest, really, economic group in the world. They they (laughs) are a massive, they are, and Larry Elder is, is a black American who has, who has worked his way up from from difficult circumstances to be, you know, extremely successful figure, as you're well aware, sure. being in the same business. Yeah. And and when I heard when you hear a stat like that, it just pops the balloon, doesn't it? Yep. Because you've got this mythic concept that is being played like an ace on every table in America today. But then when you look at facts on the ground, again, we're not claiming that everybody's a millionaire out there. We are claiming, though that um, America is absolutely not oppressing people as it was in the days of slavery or Jim Crow or segregation. Major racial progress, so-called, has been made in this country in the last 50 or 60 years. Uh, And so that means that if you're going to tell me that systemic racism obtains in the public system today, you're going to have to prove that. And you're going to be working against what you could call a very common sense perspective in which by all indicators uh, we can cite in societal terms, people have made major progress economically, including black Americans. Absolutely. There's so much more we're going to dive into with Dr. Owen Strand. Christianity and Wokeness is his book. We'll come right back on Janet Meffer Today. This is Janet Mefford. We're partnering with Bible League International to send God's word to 1,500 Bibleist believers in Africa, in many parts of countries like Kenya, Tanzania, Ghana, and Mozambique. As many as nine out of 10 Christians are denied God's word because of corrupt governments, majority religions, remoteness, and poverty. They've never been able to read 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. Reading that promise of God means everything to you and me, and now it will means so much to these Bibleist Christians in Africa when you respond. Here's Pastor John in Mozambique. One occasion, I found a pastor that was leading a church of 90 church members. And he was having one Bible that was starting from Exodus and ends to the Ephesians. And he was leading the church with that Bible. So, when we went to give them the Bible, imagine joy. They sang, they danced, they cried, and they praised God for the gift of the Bible. $5 sends one Bible, $100 sends 20 $500 sends 100 and your gift of any size will help us meet our goal of sending 1,500 Bibles to Africa. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D, or there's an Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Actually, the, the need is great. If you could remember the other picture of a lady who was trying to show me the Bible that 
pastor i understand you work with bible but we don't have bibles here so they, they, that, that lady had a bible from exodus to the book of hebrews that's all you see that so there is a great need of bibles send god's word to a bibleist believer in africa today for only five dollars call 800 y-e-s-w-o-r-d you're listening to janet mefford today and now here's janet Well, it's bad enough that we have to put up with the lie of wokeness in our culture, but it's even worse that wokeness has been seeping into the Church of Jesus Christ. We are Christians, and we ought to know better than to accept a neo-Marxist worldview that has all kinds of horrors associated with it in terms of assumptions of truth that are clearly false. Dr. Owen Strand is with us discussing his book, Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. Now, there are a lot of names Owen, people will know associated with a lot of this wokeness, Derek Bell, James Cone, Kimberly Crenshaw. There are a lot of people out there who've been pushing this. What about wokeness inside the church? When did you first start to become concerned about the increasing embrace of wokeness inside evangelicalism in particular? The real flashpoint for many of us was December 2015 with the Urbana Conference put on by Intervarsity. Yes. When uh, a young woman named Michelle Higgins I'm sure your your audience is aware of this, at least many of them, but took the stage and basically made a point that now is is almost commonplace, but six years ago was not. She said she basically, in so many words, indicted white people for their complicity in white supremacy and systemic racism. And I heard from folks who were at Urbana uh, who had students there, you know, that they're trying to disciple in the Christian faith and lead to greater knowledge of Jesus Christ. I heard that white students were asked at the group level to repent of white supremacy following that talk. <sighs> so, Janet, that was a flashpoint for me where I started to realize that something was afoot. It wasn't just, you know, discussion over Trayvon Martin, wasn't just, you know, sadness over slavery. Uh, which which Christians, of course, are going to understand in the American past. Something more was moving here. But I'll be honest with you. I'll be abundantly clear. It took a few years for me. I was working mostly on sexual stuff, sexual issues, trying to respond to them theologically, that is, in those years. And it took me a little time to get up to speed, to get into the literature, to read critical race theory, to, to grasp what wokeness was about, to understand intersectionality, and so the last few years, I've really taken a deep dive in that because I've recognized that almost nobody in Christian circles is responding directly to this. Uh, but that was really the moment, December 2015, and there were further moments to come. Gospel Coalition's 2018 conference, uh, when white people uh, of, of the past were indicted for the murder of MLK, yep. and then together for the gospel, uh, David Platt's talk, uh, uh, alerted many of us to, to some kind of change and drift there. And then having um, Mark Dever, who I trained under and revere, recommend widely on the ERLC website the book Divided by Faith, which argues that America is racialized, but actually, like we were talking about earlier, the book itself is racialized and <laughs> promotes a racialized perspective, the very same one it supposedly is uncovering. So these developments have uh, combined in my own particular life to cause me to say, whoa, this is Colossians 2, a, a godless ideology. This isn't a minor thing. This isn't a boogeyman dreamed up by the far right. This is an imperial gospel threat. 
Absolutely. Amen to everything you just said. And yes, I covered the whole Michelle Higgins thing at the time, and I remember it very well and had been a student who attended Urbana. So that was especially a wallet for me. What in the world just happened here? But it was kind of the opening of the door to all this garbage. And it seemed anecdotally, at least, Owen, for a lot of us, that all these guys you mentioned who suddenly started jumping on the woke train, it seemed to happen pretty quickly, almost as if they had been waiting for the moment to come out and admit they were on board with all this stuff. Maybe some of them felt pressured. Who knows what their intentions were. But now it seems like Big Eva, as we like to call it, is largely woke. And for a lot of Christians, that's really disconcerting. Yes, it is extremely disconcerting. And I, I would cite one more event. The I think it was called the Sparrow Conference, a women's conference, I believe, in Texas in 2019. I may have some particulars off there. But there was a panelist uh, uh, African-American panelist who, who made remarks about white supremacy that just shocked people. And so that was another kind of later development. And yeah, there's been a lot of um, strange silence in the Reformed community, in the Baptist world, in the evangelical community. Uh, it, it's so strange, Deanna, and it's so sad, because I came up in the young, restless, Reformed heyday um, I, I was at all the big conferences of the last 15 years. Um, I saw this whole thing as a great movement of God, almost a, a mini-reformation in our day. But wokeness has cut through this gospel work like a scythe. Yeah. And to switch the metaphor, it has halted the momentum of whatever the Reformed movement was, it's tragic because many of our leaders were willing to stand up, for example, for biblical complementarity, and I give them credit, and I trained under many of them and partnered with many of them when I worked at the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and I was shaped by them. I'm, I'm to this minute grateful for their influence in so many ways, but there has been a shadow that has fallen over the Church in the last few years, and, and for different motives, I'm sure— almost a collective refusal to address the elephant in the room, and it it burdens me, it grieves me. Janet, I never expected to be the one, or one of a few, a handful really, who would write a book against wokeness. I, I was sure that others would do so, others far more accomplished than me and experienced than me. But eventually I got to a point uh, where I was asked to give lectures in October 2020 on critical race theory, and I said, you know what? There's, al- there's almost nothing out there to equip Christians. People were asking me what books I would recommend. I had almost nothing to recommend, and I said, I'm going to try to write a book. Almost no Christian publisher took my book. Yeah. Uh, many of the big names rejected me, <laughs> even though I've published almost 20 books, and some of them have done fairly well. Uh, one Christian publisher said yes, and then Salem Books, who was publishing Vody Bauckham's excellent work, Fault Lines, said yes as well. And so I went with Salem, and that's how I dove into all this. No, I'll tell you what, Owen, I'm so grateful to God that you did that. And I'm grateful to God even more that you are standing up because I know exactly I have very similar background uh, in many ways in terms of the influences on my life. And it feels in many respects like a Trojan horse came in. Here we are with this very conservative Mm -hmm. biblical theology. Oh, wait a minute, we're woke. And all the people who kind of followed in said, what just happened here? Wait a second. This isn't biblical. Were you guys faking it to begin with? Or is it just a matter of the Lord revealing what's been going on behind the scenes for a 
long time. I mean, we're, we're still waiting to figure out the final answer on that. But I, I'm wondering, too, when you look at the history, the modern church history on the social gospel, you know, going back to the social gospel yeah. movement of the late 19th century, then you had a whole lot of developments in the 60s and 70s, the Sojourners crowd who are now befriending people like Russell Moore and, the, and the, that group. Is this wokeness, would you say, the latest in an ongoing movement of similar error since the social gospel movement? Or does the racial element of wokeness make this a new form of error? In other words, is it part of the old error or is it a separate error, do you think? Excellent question. I'd love to have two hours to talk it through. (laughs) Me too. Uh, Thankfully, I'm at a seminary. I'm going to teach modern church history at Grace Bible Theological Seminary right here in Conway, Arkansas. Okay this semester. And honestly, I'm going to spend weeks on on this question that you just asked, Janet. I think in shorthand form, this is the racialized social gospel. So here's the deal. We thought the social gospel was dead and buried. We thought it was an artifact of the past. Oh, wow. J. Gresham Machen's heroic stand (laughs) stood against Fosdick. And then it and then sadly, the social gospel conquered what we call the main line, but really it's dead and buried and gone. And, you know, there's some progressive folks out there, Jim Wallace and others, but they're not, they're on the fringe. We were wrong. We were wrong, Janet. We were, we, we thought it was dead and buried. And what it was doing, it turns out, was gathering strength in the darkness, like Bane in a Batman movie. <laughs> it was actually, it was actually going to hit us with a fury and a ferocity. Uh, that was unlike anything we have seen since the days, the epic days of heroic Machen and dastardly Fosdick. And so it is a racialized form of the social gospel. It is not exactly the same, although it's very compatible with the social gospel of a hundred years ago. But again, the specific focus is on overcoming racial oppression, where the specific focus a hundred years ago was by and large overcoming economic and societal oppression. Here's a common thread between both forms of the social gospel, then and now. It's usually fuzzy. So the ones who have most defined it in both eras are conservatives. The ones who have least defined it are the ones promoting it, because they won't even, in many cases, reject conservative theology outright. They will say things like, we're not against individual salvation. What we are against is understanding the social dynamics of salvation. In the same way, we're not against the, the, the big gospel movement of the last 10 years, the reform movement, people are saying today, we just want to broaden our understanding of the gospel and see that it, it impacts kingdom dynamics and overcomes <sighs> racial oppression. Well, that is the same playbook as 100 years ago, yep. and it is having a similarly devastating and destabilizing effect as it had in the 1920s and 1930s, decimating uh, Northern Baptists and Northern Presbyterians in particular, and the lights have never come back on. Uh, since the social gospel shut them down a hundred years ago. That's so right. And for listeners who aren't familiar, when you reference J. Gresham Machen, this was the man who had uh, written that famous book, Christianity and Liberalism, which is a must read for every Christian, uh, ended up leaving Princeton. He was critical of what was going on at Princeton, founded Westminster Seminary, founded the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, was a real hero. And and when you read that book, Owen, you really could insert wokeness. You know, Christianity and wokeness is the title of your book. Really, it's making, as you say, the same argument in many respects that Machen made in Christianity and liberalism, because his argument was liberalism is no Christianity at all. It's a different religion, just like wokeness. That is precisely it. And Machen, though I am not within 100 miles of Machen personally uh, in my own ministry, that was 
the blueprint for my book, yeah. I recognized as I got my arms around the epic generational threat of wokeness that it, this is just like Machen's day. Mm. A similarly sized problem. It is. Hang on just a moment. Owen Strand with us. We're going to come back. Christianity and Wokeness, the book. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. This Janet Meffer Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. It's great to have you along and great to have with us Dr. Owen Strand, Provost and Research Professor of Theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary and author of a really terrific book, Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. We were talking about this before we went to the break, Owen, how this is just kind of a new version, but a really great version, I would say, of an updated problem that J. Gresham Machen addressed initially in Christianity and Liberalism. Now we got the problem of wokeness. When we're looking at some of the influences today, you mentioned some of these books that have been influential in the church when it comes to wokeness. People like Jamar Tisby, uh, people like Christian Smith, Eric Mason. What do we need to know about their influence in making wokeness acceptable within some evangelical circles? Yeah, one of the things that a lot of woke Christian books do is they they grapple with the past, and in some cases they show how there are real compromises and failings and sins in the Christian past with regard to uh, so-called race and identity and believing that some people are inferior, you know, in the days of slavery and so on. And so what I have seen woke Christian voices do is take the burning coals from the past uh, that rightly, honestly, at some level, infuriate us, that pastors would ever have defended chattel slavery, for example. And they bring those burning brands into today, and they drop them at our feet, and they say, see? See how evil the Church was? This is where we are today. And what I realized, um, you can hear alarm, this is, this is good, because it's showing <laughs> that the alarm should be on about this ideology. Yes. What I what I realized, sorry about that, what I realized is that this is, this is not letting the past die. This is not letting anger be dealt with. This is not letting forgiveness and common grace and overcoming our past by God's providence be operative in the Church. And that then means that voices like Tisby or Mason or Emerson and Smith, uh, many others we could mention, uh, Daniel Hill, White Awake, uh, there's just a whole text. There's a whole body of text here. What they were doing then is letting those coals burn in the room, and that then caused the Church to basically accept anything they would say after that. Because if racism was not dealt with in a, in a generational way, if it's still—actually, many woke authors, Janet, say America has gotten worse— with regard to racism than in the days of slavery. You can see that in Ibram Kendi, you can see that in Robin D'Angelo, and that is Looney Tunes talking. But people, sadly, around us are buying it like crazy, partly because 
we are hearing that the past has not been dealt with. It's still very much a lie. And that lie is causing many Christians to simply crumble before woke voices, Christian or otherwise, and say, give us the remedy. Tell us what to do. If I'm a white supremacist, just like actual white supremacists of the past, how do I overcome this? And there's almost no critical thinking. Uh, there's almost no backbone. And among the pastors of God's flock today, there is very little willingness to pay in blood for this issue and say, you know what? This is this is an attack on my sheep, whether they're white or not. This is an attack on the unity of the Church. Yep. This is not coming into my Church. I am going to destroy the stronghold of wokeness, Second Corinthians 10, 3 to 6. And so suffice it to say the sheep are sitting sitting ducks to mix metaphors. They They are... They are easy targets today, and and wokeness is taking them captive. Oh, absolutely. I You know, and I, I go back to certain issues that are not really discussed very much by the woke. For example, whites are so racist that they twice elected Barack Obama president. I mean, everybody, yes. <laughs> you go into the, you know, the election of Barack Obama for the first time, and it was touted as this way to overcome the horrible racism of America. That was supposed to solve it. If you will elect Barack Obama, then all of your racial sins will have been atoned for because you finally did the right thing and put, you know, a a black man in the White House. Well, that apparently didn't matter in the end. And in fact, he was one of the ones who helped foment, I believe, where we are now. Yes, that's right. He was a transitional figure. And um, supposedly his election was our post-racial moment. Yeah. In truth, Obama was the most pro-abortion president we have we've ever had or had had to that point and had many, many other terrible flaws in his platform and in his actual presidential work. But that's what was said. But little did we know, and honestly, I think very few people in society, in broader society or in the church knew this, little did we know, again, that critical race theory, intersectionality, and wokeness were gathering strength in the dark and were just about to jump into the mainstream. And uh, the police shootings, really, of the mid-2010s are what did it. Yep. Um, those those events uh, were read as evidence of revivified racism in America, and then, as America was said to be structurally racist and hunting down uh, people of color in the streets, for example, uh, that's when critical race theorists pounced, and they realized that, no, they could, they could make millions arguing that America was not post-racial, as was said, but actually racism had been hidden by that very era, the Obama era, the era before it. And so now the cure to that delusion is to embrace so-called anti-racism, which is really uh, racism. Incredible. It's so incredible. And you're right. There's a there's a lack of critical thinking around all of this that is allowing this thing to metastasize and spread like kudzu. And, you know, you look at companies, too, like Coke, uh, advising through these training sessions to its employees, be less white. I mean, it's absurd. How are you supposed to be less white? Well, you can't be less white, but you can be less white in how you think. And white people are going, well, wait a second. There are millions. There's no one white way to think. What are you even talking about? And we're just looked upon as racist for even raising questions. So there's an absurdity to it that I think is present within this ideology that has to be there in order for them to continue to push it forward. If they started getting specific about all of their ideas and and talking not just about collective sins, but individual sins, it would all fall apart, wouldn't it, Owen? 
Yeah, that's what I make very clear in two different sections in this new book, Christianity and Wokeness. I, it was, they were some of the funnest sections to write because, <laughs> for example, the concept that there is this white community out there, this hive of whiteness, and we're all the same is ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, you look at politics, for example, white people are basically split. If you look at Pew and other, other research foundations, you see that they're basically split, Republican and Democrat. You look at the music they like. You look at the, the, the TV shows they watch. White people are not at all monolithic. No. Now, uh, there can be you know, different shared experiences, you know, to some degree, of course, but the idea that there is the white community or the white mind and the black community and the black mind and these sorts of things, this is all actually racialization. Yes. <laughs> I repeat myself, and I critique this in the book. The problem we are supposedly facing of racial division and seeing the world through racial lenses is exactly what wokeness encourages us to do. It is not the cure. It says it's the cure. It is the problem. And if you embrace it, you will begin seeing the world in a problematic way, and therefore you will never see the cure. The cure is ultimately Christ. Yes. Yes, that's right. That's right. But when the church is embracing it, as you say, wokeness overturns the gospel's no condemnation in Christ promise. I mean, this is getting at what I was saying at the beginning here, that when we see what the word of God says about Christ reconciling us to the father and we're reconciled to one another and that we're all one in Christ Jesus, there is a unity in Jesus Christ that is lost when the church begins to embrace this. That's absolutely right. You think about a text like Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, where, where you see that, that the Apostle Paul tells us that Christ, in verse 16, Ephesians 2, 16, has, has killed the hostility uh, in so many words. Jesus has murdered the hostility. You can read it in the Greek, between Jew and Gentile. If Jesus has overcome in his blood, by his death, by his substitutionary sacrifice personally, if he has overcome Jew-Gentile alienation and hostility, which stretches centuries, uh, close to millennia, then you can recognize that he can overcome even the serious divisions that we see in our past. And indeed, all who place their faith in Christ are reconciled to God, as you said just a minute ago and at the show's beginning, and are also, by extension, horizontally reconciled to one another. So, when I join a local church, I don't need a scheme for reconciliation. It's already happened in Christ. I love that. We're going to pause for another quick break. Dr. Owen Strand, Christianity and Wokeness is his book. We'll come right back on Janet Meffer today. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561. 
or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Hi, this is Janet Mefford, and we're partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to save babies' lives through ultrasound. Here's how a nurse describes the power of an ultrasound. Just one example of a mom who came in was very abortion-minded, and when she saw the picture of her baby on ultrasound and saw that beating heart, it was a defining moment that just broke her and She said, I just can't allow this baby to be killed for her own words. By letting a mother hear her baby's heartbeat and see her baby in her womb, she will choose life 80% of the time. I cannot tell you how many times a baby's life is saved through ultrasound. It's just an incredible tool. Will you help save babies' lives? For $140, you can sponsor free ultrasounds for five young women. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. When we talk about wokeness entering the church, it reminds me of something that occurred a few months back where Christianity Today was pushing this idea of reparations. And oh, and one of the things that I was asking at the time is, when is Christianity Today going to liquidate its budget and give that money as reparations? If they really believe it, you know, again, we're back to the whole issue with these people of the people pushing it are not willing, it seems, to make many sacrifices in order to lead the way, but they want you to get your life in line and they want you to do everything that the woke want you to do. It's just a scam on some level. That's right. Danny Aiken said not long ago that, you know, basically, in so many words, white leaders need to step back and give up power. And folks pointed out to Danny Aiken, a man who has very wide respect in the Baptist community and in many respects, understandably so in historical terms, are you giving up your position? All right. Um, and and that's that's just that's what always happens here that that the hoi polloi the common man uh, is targeted and said to be impossibly evil and racist and white supremacist and our cultural overlords lecture us and it, the same obtains in the church tragically where preachers actually uh, condemn I mean this is just wicked uh, and I know I'm speaking strongly but I believe it yeah. to the full yeah. preachers condemn so-called white people in their congregation uh, for, for being a white supremacist often. I, I know of this happening in a Minneapolis church, a very prominent one, and um, many of the people in the congregation, here's just an example of how bankrupt this is, had adopted children from different backgrounds of different skin color than them. How evil is it for a pastor to stand up and tell adoptive parents who have sacrificed tens of thousands of dollars and all sorts of creature comforts and time, and love these children who look different from them, that they are oppressors because of their white skin. No one is going to say, you know, uh, adoptive parents who are Christians are perfect and, and couldn't commit, uh, you know, certain sins. Of course they can. We all, we all stumble in many ways. But that is fundamentally exactly the opposite from the on-the-ground reality. These parents are adopting children of different skin color than, than them because of love. But wokeness has no place for love, it has no mercy, it has no grace, uh, and it targets people based on stereotypes and skin color, and for that reason, it is evil, it is godless, it is an anti-gospel ideology, and it has no place in any pulpit in America or any other part of the world. 
Well said. Amen to everything that you just said, Owen. I couldn't agree more with you. You know, and I was thinking of Revelation chapter two, you know, when it talks about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and the Lord is is commending the church at Ephesus before hating the deeds of the Nicolaitans and then con- condemning the church at Pergamum for having those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So you have an instance here where the Lord hates the deeds and hates the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. It was a different issue, obviously. But would you say that the Lord would be as strong to condemn wokeness as he would to condemn something like the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? Definitely. I think it is an absolute scourge upon the Church. Um, it is it is apostasy uh, uh, to embrace wokeness and to, to bring it into your Church and to commend woke voices and critical race theorists to your people and to tell, again, primarily white people, that they have white privilege and white fragility, and they are white supremacists. You, if you do that as a pastor, you have ceased to be a pastor of Christ, Mm -hmm. at least in practical and functional form. And to the people you are targeting, you have become an agent of condemnation to them. And the special dark magic here is that in wokeness, it's, it's, it's a therapeutic framework, but it's not one you can ever leave. Right. Uh, because it's an anti-gospel system, you actually never overcome your structuralist participation in racism. If you're a white person or you've benefited from whiteness, like an Asian American or a Jew, you never overcome it. You, you, just, you just commit to being, for the rest of your life, an anti-racist. You, you try to do, uh, as I show in Christianity and wokeness, you try to do acts of atonement and you you try to continually do the work and confess your privilege and these sorts of things. And here again, Christianity has such a better word. It doesn't say you can never outrun your racism, you evil person. It says, come and be forgiven in Christ. Yes, fight your sin as a Christian, but now you're you're new. You're not only not guilty through the blood of Jesus and saving faith, you are innocent in the sight of Christ. In Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for you. Amen. So a pastor who embraces wokeness is becoming an agent of darkness, at least in functional form, and this is a sign of sure apostasy in our day. No doubt about it. So, Owen, many, many listeners I know have written to me, and I'm sure you hear from a lot of people as well. I was in this church. We grew up in this church. We've supported this church. All of a sudden, I'm being told I'm a white supremacist. What do I do? How do I handle this? These people are nuts, and it seemed like it just happened with a snap of the fingers. They went from being biblical and preaching the word of God to all of a sudden telling people that they are to be ashamed of their skin color, how should I respond if my church or my denomination is going in this direction? Well, we're seeing this happen. We've had an epic uh, uh, struggle at Bethlehem Baptist, once one of the world's strongest churches, and now it's happening, it appears, at McLean Bible Church. And so Satan Satan has planted uh, absolute thermonuclear weaponry bombs in different churches, and he has ignited them yep. successfully because of compromises on the part of leaders. And so what, and thankfully there are sound people in these congregations who are pushing back, and many of your listeners are in this very difficult position, and I have tremendous compassion for them because many churches are embracing uh, Be the Bridge curricula and uh, Whiteness 101, and many pastors are recommending the books we've talked about thus far from the pulpit and are preaching secular, godless sociology instead of the inerrant Word of God. And what this means is, what this means is that uh, 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 congregants should set up an appointment to talk with the leadership, 
graciously work through these issues, present them to the leadership. If the leadership does not change their tune, if they do not repent more, more significantly in biblical terms, then those congregants, those Christian, those dear Christian men and women of whatever color, whatever background, should do anything they can to get to a different church, a new church, that will stand on the Word of God and the Word of God alone, and that will not condemn anyone for skin color or background or heritage, but will instead preach Christ and Christ crucified. Sadly, lots of people don't have a, a church right at hand that is doing so, but Janet, I actually, actually believe that, that God, in His providence, is using you know a lot of things today, including wokeness and the supposed pandemic, to shut down uh, compromised churches, yep. and He is at the same time strengthening strong churches. So, for example, Grace Bible Church here in Conway, Arkansas, is growing like crazy, in part because Jeff Johnson, the pastor, wrote a book called What Every Christian Needs to Know About Social Justice. It's unwoke, and people are flocking to the church. I know of another pastor in North Carolina, Grant Castleberry, great pastor, who had a, had a, had a person Google unwoke truth church. <laughs> Google. That was literally, those were the suits to him. Unwoke truth church. They're just desperate to find that kind of church, and found this church capital community in, in Raleigh and, and went there and is joining it. And that is a sign of the age. Yeah. So God is lifting up strong churches, even as he is bringing down compromised churches. Amen. That is so encouraging here. And you had mentioned before Bethlehem Baptist, that was John Piper's church, David Platt out at McLean Bible Church. That's been a train wreck what's going on at that church. But it's encouraging to hear that the Lord is strengthening his people and bringing them to other churches that are not compromising the word of God. And this is what really is coming home to me, Owen, when you look at Hebrews 4.12 saying, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We have a sword of the spirit that we can use in an hour like this, not just sitting there and taking the wokeness, but proactively saying, this is what the word of God says. You are the person to be on the defense. If you're going to stand for wokeness, defend it biblically or stop, because I think there's a lack of confidence because so often Christians are guilted into feeling like they just have to be nice and be quiet and don't say anything. This is not a time to be quiet it seems to me, but a time to boldly bring the word of God mm-hmm. to bear on what is occurring in our churches, because it is of the devil. That's right. And in any church, there's complex circumstances. Let me acknowledge that with those churches I mentioned a minute ago, and, and there, there's all sorts of dynamics, and, and we need to point that out. I do. But yes, fundamentally, fundamentally, life is too short to sit under unsound doctrine. Yeah. So if you and your kids, your friends, your peers, spouse, if they are getting shoveled godless sociology from a pulpit that used to brim with vibrancy from the Word of God and the Word of God alone, feel no hesitation in finding a new church if God leads you in that way. Wonderful. Well, you've got to read this book. It's so excellent, so helpful. Christianity and Wokeness by Dr. Owen Strand. And Owen, thank you again for writing this book. I know it's going to help so many Christians stand firmly on Christ and his word. And it was just wonderful to talk to you again. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Janet. Thanks for having me back on. Appreciate you. Always great to talk to you, Owen. Thanks again. God bless you. Thanks for joining us here on Janet Maffer today. We really appreciate you tuning in and we hope you will do so again next time. God bless.
This hour has been brought to you by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD.